Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion about the difference between liberal and conservative judges. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is December the 6th, and on this day in 1865, the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, officially ending an institution of slavery, was ratified. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to this jurisdiction. With these words, the single greatest uh, change wrought by the Civil War was officially noted in the Constitution. The ratification came eight months after the end of the war, but it still represented the culmination of a struggle against slavery. When the war began, some of the North were against fighting what they saw as a crusade to end slavery. Although many Northern Democrats and conservative Republicans were opposed to slavery's expansion, they were ambivalent about outlawing the institution entirely. The war's escalation after the first Battle of Bull Run uh, in July 1861 caused many to rethink the role that slavery played in creation of the uh, conflict. By 1862, Lincoln realized it was folly to wage such a bloody war without plans to eliminate slavery. In September 1862, following the Union victory at Antietam in Maryland, uh, Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, declaring that all enslaved people in the territory, still in rebellion on January the 1st, 1863, would be declared forever free. The move was largely symbolic, as it only freed enslaved people in the areas outside of the Union control, but it changed the conflict from out of the war from reunification of the states to the war whose objectives included the destruction of slavery. Lincoln believed that a constitutional amendment was necessary to ensure the end of slavery. In 1864, Congress debated several proposals, some insisting on including provisions to prevent discrimination against blacks, but the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, provided the eventual language. It borrowed from the Northwest Ordinance of 1787 when slavery was banned from the area north of the Ohio River. The Senate passed the amendment in April 1864. A Republican victory in the 1864 presidential election would guarantee the success of the amendment. The Republican platform called for the utter and complete destruction of slavery, while Democrats favored restoration of states' rights, uh, which would include at least the possibility of states to be able to maintain slavery. Lincoln's overwhelming victory set in motion the events leading to the ratification of the amendment. The House passed the measure in January 1865, and it was sent to the states for ratification. When Georgia ratified it on December the 6th, 1865, the institution of slavery effectively ceased to exist in the United States. The story of the Civil War changed from reunification of the states to uh, the uh, or including the abolition of slavery. Well, U.S. stocks uh, closed mixed yesterday in a sign of a cooling labor market. Available positions in the United States dropped to 8.7 million in October, the lowest since 2021, and well below the estimates for the month. 
That was music to the ears of the Fed, of course, who wants to see the labor market soften alongside easing inflation before it considers cutting interest rates. Meanwhile, the unemployment rate remained near historic lows, though it's climbed to 3.9% last month, its highest level since January 2022. And by the way, the fourth GOP primary debate scheduled for tonight, 8 p.m., <clears throat> on News Nation includes uh, governor's former governor Nikki Haley, ambassador to the UN, and Chris Christie of uh, New Jersey, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy to participate. Uh, those, of course, is not going to include President Donald Trump. He, apparently, he he may be there. I'm not sure if he's going to. I know he's not going to participate. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Nikki Haley, of course, has been now anointed as the uh, deep state candidate, and we'll see how that all turns out. Interesting developments uh, in the debate. Well, the rapidly growing debt of the U.S. federal government has hit another milestone, topping more than $100,000 per person in the United States. With the U.S. population and the U.S. national debt are large numbers, which are difficult to calculate, the rough debt estimate and rough population estimate end up at about $100,000 of federal debt per person in the United States. That's a lot of tamales. Well, former Representative Liz Cheney is considering a third-party presidential bid as she seeks to do whatever it takes to stop former President Donald Trump from winning in 2024, she told the Washington Post. Cheney, an outspoken critic of the former president, said that she would not have contemplated a third party running several years ago, but now she thinks the stakes are just too high. I happen to think democracy is at risk at home, obviously, as a result of Donald Trump's continued grip on the Republican Party. And I think uh, democracy is at risk internationally as well, Cheney told the Post. They used to ignore the conservative lawmaker, but isn't it remarkable how the media has teamed up with Republican former Representative Liz Cheney to stop former President Donald Trump's bid for for the presidency, repeating her success in winning Democrats to her cause after January 6th riots and her number two role in the House uh, panel on uh, January 6th. The media has eagerly opened its best shows and time slots for her to talk about her new book and campaign against Trump. Shameless. Uh, she can't win in Wyoming. I don't know why she would <laughs> consider running, but uh, I'm not kidding. She's really planning on thinking about running for uh, the presidency in uh, 2024. Well, Israel is considering flooding Hamas' underground network of tunnels in Gaza with ocean water as part of its plan to completely decimate the terrorist group and that rules over the uh, Palestinian territory. The uh, Israel Defense Forces assembled at least five pumps that could be used to draw water from the Mediterranean Sea to then flush out the tunnels within a matter of weeks. Each pump has the power to move thousands of cubic meters of water per hour into at least 800 tunnels used by Hamas to move through Gaza without detection. Israeli forces have entered Gaza's second largest city of Khan Yonis as Israel's ground offensive expands in the south. Officials say the latest fighting between Israel and Hamas has been the most intense since the war began two months ago as Israel seeks to dismantle what it says is Hamas's last major stronghold. More than 1.87 million Palestinians, or roughly 80% of Gaza's population, have been displaced from their homes so far, according to the UN. The death toll in Gaza has risen to at least 15,800, according to Hamas-run health ministry, and the death toll in Israel stands at 1,400. At least 137 more of the 240 hostages Hamas abducted in October the 7th attack remain captive. So that's the update on what's happening there. Looks like a 
the Israeli forces are making great progress now moving from the north to the south in, in Gaza. <clears throat> well, Defense Secretary Lord, uh, Lloyd Austin warned Congress on Tuesday during a private briefing that it did not pass more aid to Ukraine. It would very likely lead to U.S. troops fighting a war in Europe. If Vladimir Putin takes over Ukraine, he'll get Moldova, Georgia, and then maybe the Baltics, uh, House Foreign Affairs Chairman Michael McCall told the messenger after Austin and other senior Biden administration officials briefed the House lawmakers on their request for more aid to Ukraine. And then the idea that we're going to have to put troops on the ground in Secretary Austin's words were very likely, McCall added. That's what we're being trying to avoid, he said. Uh, I think he very much supports. He's kind of a hawk. Uh, the war did little to win over Republican skeptics who opposed more aid to uh, Ukraine without more accountability and transparency in how it will help Ukraine. The Biden administration has requested a $106 billion aid package from Congress with the bulk of it, $61 billion, going to Ukraine. That would be uh, in addition to the $113 billion that has already been allocated to support Ukraine in the war. Uh, our representative Byron Donalds said it best. He told the messenger in a classified Ukraine briefing was boring and said, these guys are just speechifying about most of the stuff you guys already report on in the news. Joe Biden needs to do his job and secure our border, he added. You do that and then members of Congress will talk. That's pretty much the position right now. Secure the border and don't just throw money at it. Actually secure the border and then we can talk about what's happening in Ukraine. Well, U.S. students lag behind their peers in many industrialized countries when it comes to math, according to the results of the global exam released Tuesday. U.S. students saw a 13-point drop in their 2022 Program for International Student Assessment, or PISA, math results when compared to the 2018 exam. The 2022 math score was not only lower than it was in 2012, but was among the lowest ever measured by PISA in mathematics for the U.S. per the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. While the U.S. scored below the OECD average in math, it managed to score above the OECD average in reading and science. The 2022 results found that U.S. students scored one point below their 2018 reading score and three points below their 2018 science scores. However, their performance in those areas were a little bit higher than in 2012. These are really despicable results, and you think about the money we've spent through the Department of Education. In my opinion, we should just abolish it. It's a waste to spend money, or send money to Washington, D.C. to educate our kids. It makes no sense at all. Well, uh, CVS Health yesterday announced major changes to how it will price its prescription drugs, a move observers say could increase transparency in the industry. The announcement comes amid growing government scrutiny of the current uh, maze-like U.S. drug pricing system, which results in the world's highest per capita out-of-pocket spending on prescription drugs. Under the Cost Advantage Plan, it's uh, Cost Vantage Plan, it's pronounced, uh, set to take effect in early 2024, pharmacies will be reimbursed. The, the drug manufacturer's list price, in addition to a standard markup and dispensing fee, for decades, prices have been determined by an opaque, complex proprietary process generally overseen by pharmacy benefit managers and an intermediary uh, historically tasked with finding the lowest cost for consumers. CVS expects the move to reduce drug prices in many cases 
while acknowledging that some prices of drugs could actually increase. That's good news, I think. More transparency, I think, in the healthcare business in all areas, in all sectors of the healthcare business will be a, a leading advantage. And then finally, in this segment, uh, House Republican leaders are preparing for a vote next week to formalize their impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. And the information and evidence continues to stack up. On Tuesday, uh, Speaker Mike uh, Johnson announced the plan, scheduling the House vote to authorize the inquiry during the last week of the session before lawmakers adjourn for the holidays. Uh, during a press conference on Tuesday, Johnson emphasized the constitutional responsibility of the House to officially adopt an impeachment inquiry on the floor. This procedural step aims to position the House as the pinnacle, at the pinnacle of its constitutional authority, particularly when facing legal challenges to the subpoenas in court. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C. and focused on private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. So for the last several weeks, we've been talking about the differences between liberal and conservative judges and the way they understand and apply the Constitution. There's kind of some ancillary issues as well as us. wonder if you could tell us about your thoughts on court packing. It's been brought up a number of times. Should the court be expanded by adding additional justices? Well, there, there's nothing in the Constitution that specifies how large the Supreme Court has to be. In fact, it's, it's changed size several times. There's been a range of five to ten justices, although the current nine-member court has existed since uh, the middle of the 1800s. So Congress could change the court's size by statute without a constitutional amendment. But to do so, under current Senate rules, 60 votes would be needed to overcome a filibuster, um, unless the party with the majority in the Senate wanted, if it chose, could eliminate the 60-vote filibuster hurdle. But even though they could do that, I think court packing is a terrible idea. FDR found that out when he tried it. Uh, When the court opposed his New Deal programs, he decided to expand uh, the number of justices to uh, 15. But then one of the justices, Owen Roberts, suddenly switched from opposing to supporting the New Deal. And that that became known as the switch in time that saved nine, meaning the nine members of the court. So today, you know, like the 1930s, the public opposes court packing. And if it passed, uh, the probable outcome would be a series of retaliations every time the Senate majority changed hands. And that would further politicize the court and I think diminish uh, public support for the court. Uh, last week we talked about uh, perhaps uh, having the time uh, served on the Supreme Court be limited and uh, kind of staggered uh, as another idea. And if you have an interest in that idea, check out the last week's Wednesday show and Bob Levy's interview uh, uh, last week on, on Wednesday. So both Democrats and Republicans were able to appoint judges by rescinding filibuster rules, which required 60 Senate votes to confirm. Was that a good idea? Well, during the Gorsuch and uh, Kavanaugh confirmations, the Republicans had fewer than 60 Senate votes, um, and the Democrats could have prolonged the debate and refused a floor vote and thereby uh, rejected uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Mm -hmm. But to circumvent that problem, the Republicans, um, the term is, went nuclear and changed the filibuster rules so that only... 51 votes were required to shut down the bait. Um, the former majority leader, Harry Reid, had done the same thing uh, for the Democrats when they controlled the Senate, except the Democrats had retained the 60-vote requirement for Supreme Court justices, and now that's, that requirement is now 
gone. So my, my view of the matter is this. The gripe against the filibuster is that it's undemocratic uh, because it stifles majority rule. <clears throat> I think that completely misses the point. I mean, we are a republic and not a democracy, and our Constitution is intentionally undemocratic. Mm-hmm. So the framers were concerned about the tyranny of the majority, and recent majorities on both sides of the aisle have proven that those concerns uh, were justified. Uh, majority parties have killed bills in committee and withheld floor votes and blocked amendments, uh, denying a lot of times denying the minority any meaningful role. So I think the filibuster is a partial counterweight to those tactics. It helps ensure also bipartisan legislation by compromise. So the filibuster may be undemocratic, but that's precisely why we have it. Yeah, it makes sense. The whole process has been politicized. So on balance, would you vote to continue the filibuster in its current form? Yes, I would. Without the filibuster, I think we'd be laboring under a federal government with far larger um, functions than even today's behemoth. Uh, Thanks to the filibuster, the senators can occasionally throw a few grains of uh, sand into the uh, wheels of the regulatory and redistributive state. You know, Milton Friedman captured that point when he said, and this is a quote, he said, I just shudder at what would happen to freedom in this country if the government were efficient. Uh, He was right. Uh, The filibuster is a valuable safeguard. And we'd be better off, I think, if it were codified as part of the Constitution, especially for votes on significant expenditures and tax increases, and also for confirmation of federal judges. These guys have lifetime tenure on the bench. Uh, And so unless and until we establish uh, term limits that we talked about last week, I think it's little little enough to insist that these lifetime appointees be approved uh, by 60 senators. So interesting. I mean, if you talk about uh, being disappointed and not getting things done in Congress, look what they've done in the last 200, 200 years. It made a mess of things, quite frankly. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So let's discuss uh, judicial ethics. It's been in the news recently. And uh, what's the law regarding recusal of federal judges? So a federal recusal statute requires judges to recuse if their families could financially gain from a decision or if a reasonable observer might question their impartiality. And additionally, most federal judges are subject to the Code of Judicial Conduct. Supreme Court justices, however, are exempt from that code. Hmm. So they decide for themselves about recusal. And one reason for that exemption, it sounds surprising that they would be different than everybody else, but one reason is that if it happens on a lower court, you just substitute uh, for a recused judge and you bring in another judge. Ah. But there's nobody to replace a Supreme Court justice who recuses. And, of course, one vote could, uh, could affect the outcome of a, of a, key, a key dispute. So the Democrats say that these justices should be bound uh, by the same rules that Congress and the executive branch are bound. But bear in mind that Congress and the executive branch, they can initiate actions for or against parties that they favor or oppose. Judges are different. Judges can only hear cases that come to them. They can't pick and choose. And they issue opinions, setting out their legal reasons for all folks to see and read. So outright bias, if it were to exist, 
is much more difficult in the judiciary and much more obvious if it occurs. That is so interesting, Bob. I've never even thought about this point. So what are your views about the political activism of Ginny Thomas, uh, Clarence Thomas's wife? Well, she she's vocally embraced uh, election denial, and there's no, uh, but there's no public evidence that she had anything to do with January the sixth, and her her work with the conservative Heritage Foundation that's not barred by any law or any ethical code. So, if and when a case comes before the court that actually involves his wife or could benefit his wife, then Clarence Thomas should recuse himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't believe that Ginny Thomas's political activism has yet uh, crossed that uh, that threshold. So uh, do you think uh, there's been a bias favoring liberals when it comes to judicial ethics? You bet. Uh, And here are a couple of examples. We had a very famous uh, liberal icon on the Ninth Circuit out in the West Coast who participated in an appeal even after his wife, who was the head of an ACLU chapter, commented on the lower court opinion, and the chapter actually filed a brief in the case. So the judge, his name was Stephen Reinhardt, he he wrote that his wife's views are, quote, hers, not mine. I do not in any way condition my opinions on the positions she takes regarding any issues. And ethics experts agreed with Reinhardt, and they they noted that Reinhardt is not presumed to be the reservoir and the carrier of his wife's beliefs. A contrary outcome would deem a judge's spouse unable to hold just about any position of advocacy, creating what amounts to a marriage penalty. And Justice Ginsburg, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, also had a checkered history in this regard. Mm. Uh, you may remember Ginsburg's personal attack on Donald Trump during the 2016 presidential campaign. She called Trump a faker and criticized him for not disclosing his tax returns. She even voiced concerns about Trump being president. And then she sat on a case that challenged a subpoena for his tax returns. And she decided plenty of other cases yeah. involving Trump and his administration. So the relative silence from the mainstream liberal media, I think, was deafening. So interesting. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. I hope you check out the very robust and very helpful website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, 
and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239 325 1041. That's 239 325 1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Just a reminder that Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center is now serving dinner Wednesdays through Saturdays, 4 to 8 p.m. And the menu is just terrific. Great value. And I encourage you to stop by Lulubee's Diner for an informal and a wonderful meal. Food is great. Great seafood, great comfort food. Again, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We have with us uh, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So we usually start off with some good news or some quotes. Uh, what's on your mind today? I've got a few stories that I'll weave in as good news, and I think <clears throat> they are in, in their own way as I position them. But uh, Brian Comedy of uh, Fox has recently published a book called Teddy and Booker T, Booker T, Washington being the Booker T. Mm-hmm. And I only bring it up because my, the first book I read as a, as a human being that I remember reading as a book as compared to this little snippets here and there was uh, Booker T. Washington's book, Up From Slavery. And I remember the, the impact, and I was probably only eight or nine, maybe ten years old at the time, but the book had a tremendous impact. It was intelligent. Uh, he stressed, Booker T. stressed the, uh, the importance of education and hard work as the most important elements in, in, in bringing, uh, bringing uh, African Americans up from the, from the problems of slavery. And I, uh, that message somehow has been lost over the last 50 years, but it's such a critical message. You very seldom hear the civil rights movement, even citing Booker T. Washington. Uh, I, I'm going to make a point that I don't know if it's true, but I, I'm going to presume it's because of the emphasis he put on uh, the, the African-American citizen uh, in terms of how they should overcome their problems as compared to the government or, in fact, undoing white racism and all this, the memes we hear right now. So that book, uh, I haven't read it yet, but again, Booker T. Washington is, has always been a hero for me, Bob. Um, certainly makes sense, you know, for me too. And uh, frankly, it just uh, this discussion just brings me back to... Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. on the steps of Lincoln Memorial making the comment that he just wants his kids to be judged not on the color of their skin, but on the content of their characters. Why can't we get back to that? 
Yeah, we, look, the, the progress in terms of, the, uh, of, of racial relations, racial relations, it was, was uh, gaining a, a steady traction uh, up through, the, let's say, the 1950s. What interfered with all of that, that, uh, that positive movement forward, uh, I'm going to say, and I think it can be documented, was, uh, were uh, leftist uh, economic and political policies. And all of a sudden, through the 50s and, and then beyond that, obviously, uh, what we've seen is a regression in terms of the quality of inner-city black life, and again, in terms of the, the racial relations. So uh, I think we've seen almost an intentional process of creating a higher degree of dependency in the African-American community entirely for the benefit of leftist politics, Bob. No question. I mean, the, uh, when the Great Society was established by uh, Johnson, uh, he, the uh, poverty rate was at 12.7%. Today, after the trillions of dollars that have been spent on programs and so forth, the poverty level, 12.7%. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great shame, obviously, that so many uh, good African-American citizens have been damaged by this. The, we, we know that the, the, the major people that are impacted by, let's say, black crime are other blacks. We know that the, the, the levels of murder in the black community are, in fact, directed at other blacks. So uh, all of these problems that we're seeing, to the largest extent, yeah. Not completely, obviously, but to a large extent, impact uh, on the very decent, hardworking African American community, Bob. No question about it. Uh, thank you for bringing that up, and it's just such an important point. I, I think it is, and I, I wish there was more discussion about it. Uh, you know, as uh, Eric Holder had said, America is uh, is cowardly to talk about race, and I I think that's true, but not because of what Eric Holder said or the reason he said it for uh, in regards to. So I think uh, we have to have these kind of discussions. Uh, I think there is a significantly positive African American community that that is not being heard in these discussions, uh, and again, that's that's I think to the detriment of the whole community, Bob. Uh, one one more sort of a good news. Story. Story. It's hard to position this way, but John Fetterman, who again has made it to the Senate in Pennsylvania, defeating Oz in that in that race, and of course that was met with some derision because of his physical condition at that time, because of a stroke he had recently experienced. But now I think we're seeing John Fetterman maybe coming out of that problem. Uh, he's uh, come out as a very strong supporter of, of Israel. I mean, uh, without condition, uh, just an absolute supporter of Israel and uh, demanding the release of the hostages. His office is, is plastered with the images of the, the hostages that were taken. Uh, on top of that, recently, Fetterman has uh, not offered a defense of George Santos, uh, but essentially has said, why, why is this focus on George Santos when we have an active criminal in the Senate, Menendez, uh, that is hardly being addressed at all. So I'd like to see some of these type of, of uh, statements being made by many of the Republicans who are not making them. Uh, so I'd like uh, when I have to turn to, to Fetterman as being my hero of the day, yeah. uh, I think the Republican Party in some ways is in trouble, Bob. Well, I, I uh -huh. just, and I'm, I'm asking you this in ignorance, but has uh, Fetterman's condition improved? Well, if we can judge by the the output of, of John Fetterman, it, it certainly has. Yeah. Uh, it's hard for, I'm not a, a doctor, obviously, but uh, I think we can look at his uh, his clarity of speech. He's uh, he's speaking without uh, without uh, stuttering, without having the interference from a, a medical condition. So I think we're seeing the John Fetterman that probably existed before the stroke, Bob. Uh, that's so interesting. Well, he's right about Bob Menendez. I mean, so much evidence is now apparently the gold bars that they found at his home when they raided his home, apparently 
really it turns straight back to uh, uh, the the guy who stole <laughs> the gold uh, the gold bars because they're each registered apparently and have a number on them and uh, uh, the, the, these twenty two gold bars had five hundred thousand dollar value. They were the police uh, the the chain of custody is very clear. And there's no question that Bob Menendez ended up with a lot of stolen goods. Did they trace those gold bars back to uh, an Egyptian source? Was that was that the story? Uh, I don't recall that it was Egyptian, but uh, Egyptian. But uh, the, yeah, I think it was Egyptian. But the point is that the the bars had serial numbers, and they were part of a robbery. And by <laughs> the way, this is not uh, Bob Menendez's first brush with the law. No, uh, back several years ago, he also had another criminal. A circumstance that was dismissed in terms of Senate action. Uh, so we're looking at a man that has a high degree of criminality. He's obviously leveraged his office for his own personal gain. Uh, so I think that when Fetterman comes out in the Senate as a, as a uh, co-member of the Senate and says those type of things, I think we're looking at a, a Fetterman that is saying things that have to be said, Bob. Andy, you need to just take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. And a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And I hope you'll go check out the website and get some tickets to some great performances coming up. The website is Golf Shore Playhouse. 
www.jcc.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. So, Andy, uh, any other good news? This is sort of a good news story because it exposes, I think, a problem, and I think that's always a, a good news, at least within its implication. Uh, recently, in an interaction between Senator Kennedy from Louisiana and uh, Director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, uh, Kennedy asked Ray why, in fact, the FBI had not identified what they obviously knew was that the, the, the laptop was, in fact, Hunter Biden's laptop. And Christopher Ray said, well, it was during an election cycle, and he didn't want to seem to be political. And Senator Kennedy, in his inimitable fashion, goes, duh, you know, it is, could anything be more political than you willfully withholding information from the American public, regardless of whether it is an election cycle or not? This would not have been political. You're withholding withholding that information was political. The release of it would have been your job. And I think that that kind of clarification in terms of the FBI's role, uh, what they should be doing as compared to what they see themselves as doing, are, are sometimes entirely unrelated, Bob, uh, as their actions uh, document, Bob. Uh, so clear and obviously so politicized uh, that it's unfortunate that uh, the Department of uh, the FBI, the uh, CIA, the Department of uh, Justice are all politicized in such a way it's just so harmful to the country. And Bob, as I've said a thousand times on your show, maybe less, <laughs> but where the heck is Gina Haspel? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, everybody in the world has been interviewed over the past several years about the various issues. Every past director of the CIA and FBI is, has been in the forefront of the news through stories. Gina Haspel has not even been alluded to. So I just, I, I'm not going to make my case right here, but I just still ask the question, where in the world is Gina Haspel? Oh, well, of course, and for our listeners' benefit, uh, she's the former head of the CIA. She just disappeared off the face of the map, and uh, you, there's no trace of her anywhere. And, and again, when it's associated with the stories that were rumors and they were rejected, uh, that she was either killed or seriously injured during a raid on the Frankfurt, Germany com computer farms, which were directly involved with the elections of, of 2020, um, you know, then the story gains some traction, or the potential story, let's call it, gains traction because her disappearance since that point uh, has is, has been the case. So uh, again, I don't want to make a, a, a stronger point than, than than the one I'm aware of. But again, Gina Haspel has has fallen off the face of the earth, as you put it. But. Yeah, absolutely. So Andy, uh, right now the uh, uh, Secretary of uh, the State, no, Secretary of uh, the, the Military, Secretary of uh, Armed Forces, in any end, uh, event, has said that you know what we need uh, money. For, uh, for the, the award in, in Ukraine. And if we don't get it, we're going to have to send our, military, our troops to, uh, to Ukraine to fight the war. And uh, it's kind of... <laughs> yeah, it, to me, it's just so egregious and so political that he would make a comment like that, especially after uh, the woke nature of our military and uh, the, uh, his performance at Afghanistan. It's just really d disheartening to see. Well amplify this. I wasn't going to talk about this today, but uh, <coughs> Senator Durbin from Illinois recently said the way we should uh, uh, help with the armed forces recruiting, which is really at a very low level right now, the ability to draw in new troops is really uh, not, not succeeding in terms of the campaigns to get these troops. Uh, so he's, what, he, what he suggested is they should bring in illegal aliens yeah. 
and as a reward for their serving in the uh, military, they should gain citizenship. So here we're going to take the already existing woke military, as you described it, weave in people that by their nature are criminals. They violated American uh, federal law to even be here, and this is the way that we're going to build up the military. So, uh, again, uh, I... I Look, I have no nothing to say about individual illegals. I don't know them, obviously, on a face to a one-to-one basis. Uh, but on the other hand, to, to suggest that we're going to develop a strong military uh, by making it both woke and populated by illegals, it just seems to be uh, contradictory in terms, almost, Bob. Absolutely. But I do applaud uh, the Republicans now in the House of Representatives who refuse to provide any kind of additional funding unless the border issue is addressed, and not just with money, but also with uh, making sure that illegals are not coming across. Well, look, at this point, I think we all have to realize uh, that the border issue, the immigra- illegal immigration issue, is not going to be solved. Uh, because it's, there's no willingness to do it, certainly right. from the left and too, and too many on the right, not, uh, not the majority, but too many on the right. Uh, my first entry into politics in this area, in this geographic area, uh, was when I made a presentation on illegal immigration back in 2009. So we're talking 14 years ago, and again, I would suggest that the immigration uh, problem is, is certainly no better and may in fact be worse right. than it was when that speech was appropriate for... Uh, uh, 14 years ago, Bob. Well, let's be clear. I mean, we need immigration in our in this country. We it, we thrive on it, but, but we need legal immigration. We need to vet the people that are coming in to make sure they're not ha, don't have criminal backgrounds. And you can go through the make sure that they're prepared to make a contribution to our society. We do need immigration, but let's understand the patterns of our historic Im- Im- immigration, Bob. We allowed in huge numbers. Let's say at the beginning of the 20th century, that was necessary to. Uh, to bolster up the the population in certain areas of the country, and it worked very successfully. But then uh, there was a time out taken, so assimilation can take place. Yeah. You can't have continuous immigration without assimilation, and that's what we're seeing now. So my my major focus is illegal immigration, but even leg- legal immigration without assimilation is detrimental to the well-being of this of this country, Bob. Well, we need uh, laws in place. We have laws in place, and they should be enforced. But we need better laws, and, and uh, those those need to be passed. I think it was, is it House Bill Number 2? Is It's already been proposed. It's there. The the legislation is there. It's just not been uh, uh, voted on by the Senate and uh, signed by the President. Well, I think we don't need millions upon millions of additional agricultural workers. You know, I think we have to start drawing our people from uh, Eastern Europe, for, for example, that produce some of the, the most intelligent and uh, best educated people in the world. Uh, so again, our, our policies are not just to, to have legal immigration, but in fact to make it meritorious, as, as many nations, I think all nations in the world, I, I'm not sure if that's correct, but uh, all, nation, all major nations in the world have meritorious immigration, legal immigration. I think we have to make that a, a stronger a centerpiece of our policies, Bob. No, absolutely. That should be uh, based on our needs here. We want to make America great again. We may make sure that the people that are joining us are going to make a contribution. And maybe it's farm workers. I don't know. That's a, a separate discussion. But whatever our needs might be, we should be starting to uh, bring those people here to the United States. But look, we've seen, in fact, what happens with the, the, the second-generation uh, Hispanics uh, in, the, in the Southwest, particularly, obviously. Uh, again, they, they are uh, not as well-educated as the first-generation Hispanics. Now, I'm not in any way attacking Hispanics. Half of my background is, is Hispanic. My mother's maiden name being Gomez. 
but effectively, uh, when we're looking at the problem, it is the failure to assimilate and move into the mainstream American culture. The American culture has never been one that tried to dominate the, the incoming immigrants, but in fact, take from them what was their best and in fact reject what was their worst. Now, we've stopped doing that. So what we have now is this pollution of our basic culture rather than an enhancing of the culture as has always taken place with legal immigration, Bob. Thank you for that, Andy. We need to take another break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue our conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus Savaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. So uh, off air, we were talking a little bit about uh, citizenship during wartime. I was hoping you could amplify your thoughts for our listeners. Well, this has been uh, front and center in terms of uh, the Israeli actions in Gaza. And of course, the protests in America and around the world have been built almost exclusively on the deaths of civilians in the in the Gaza Strip. 
Uh, then the question is, uh, what is the, the obligation of a nation uh, in terms of the citizenship of, a, of the nation has, that has launched a belligerent war, as has, as has Hamas with Israel? Uh, let's also cite that uh, the belligerent war started by Japan in 1941. The belligerent war of Europe started by the, uh, the German Third Reich uh, in, the, in the latter part of the 30s. I would make the point that the citizens of a belligerent nation uh, essentially are responsible for the government of their nation and the actions it takes. Mm -hmm. No military action of necessity should ever be restricted uh, as a method of protecting the citizens of a belligerent nation. Now, uh, that excludes, obviously, the, the willful slaughter of citizens. That should not happen, as we, as we saw with Hamas, for example. That was a, a willful slaughter of, of citizens. But effectively, a nation that is fighting for its survival, as Israel, or as, as the, the West did against Japan and against Nazi Germany in the, in the latter 30s and 40s, the citizens of that nation are, are in fact, uh, responsible for the actions of their government and the actions that there are that are taken that uh, as collateral damage uh, kill those citizens cannot be suppressed cannot be denied uh, the, the 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 nation uh, fighting in defense of a belligerent war so uh, when i hear that the citizens of gaza who almost universally support hamas elected Hamas, and in polling right now, I think the number is 75% still support Hamas. No, these citizens are, in fact, contributors uh, emotionally, psychologically, and, in fact, financially uh, to the outcome of that war. And so with this, this, this constant plea that citizens must be protected at all costs uh, would have denied uh, the West its ability to fight Japan, the ability to fight Germany, and I think it'll deny Israel the ability to defend itself as, 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 as it all goes forward. Now, thank goodness Israel understands what I've just said, and they are going to fight their war as it must be fought. Uh, but I think we're seeing restrictions that Israel's imposing on themselves as a result of the, uh, of the pressure they've been put under to protect citizens, innocent citizens, are they called. We just had a seven-day uh, uh, timeout in terms of the, the war, allowing Hamas uh, to restore their military capability. Uh, and essentially, whether it's going directly for humanitarian aid or directly into military aid, uh, funds will be shifted from humanitarian areas into the military areas. We know that's going to happen. How do we know that? Because it's been happening over the past 50 years, Bob. So again, this, this issue of uh, protecting citizens uh, as an as a obligation of a nation defending itself from another belligerent nation has to be taken out of the equation, Bob. Such interesting commentary, and I'm, I'm not at all resisting your points. I, I just want to make an additional point that's kind of separate. But usually during a time of war, it's not the citizens, but rather the government that gets stronger at the expense of the citizens. I mean, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, this is a, uh, you know, again, I, I'm going to go back to one of my original statements that the citizens are responsible for their, for their, uh, for their government. Uh, and in Japan, as the war unfolded in, in, the, in the 40s, yes, the citizenship came to, came to the front to offer greater support for the, the imperial armies of Japan. The same thing in, in Nazi Germany, the Nazi party, very weak in the early 30s. Uh, by the latter part of the 30s, there was a, a very generalized support for the, for the Nazi party. So I I think that's the point you're, you're making. Uh, I don't want to uh, misstate your point that that's not what it is. But yes, the, the citizenship support of a belligerent nation grows during times of war. 
So interesting, Andy. Well, thanks for, for uh, a lap of editing on, on that point. Before I let you go, one of the topics we might want to discuss is the whole notion of lying and its impact on uh, the, the discourse that goes on in government and society. Well, I think if we look for just as one example, just one example, the recent debate between DeSantis and Newsom, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm watching this debate, listening to the debate, and the, the number of lies that Newsom consciously told, and I'm, I'm not suggesting he accidentally told lies, I'm not suggesting these were uh, just interpret, interpretive uh, uh, areas of lies. No, I think Newsom willfully, knowingly lied. And then the question is, why would anybody do that? And the answer is simple. Uh, it's been proven by extensive research, and this is one of the areas where I think academics really matters, uh, that a lie has far more significant impact than the truth in almost every circumstance, huh. uh, because the lie can be created in the exact manner that the liar wants it to be, it to exist, whereas the truth exists in its own form. It's a pure thing. It has, it has no extended implication other than being the truth, whereas the lie can be corrupted further and further as the, as the, the event goes on. So when we're looking at why lies are, are so commonly used, and, and by the way, so effective when they're commonly used, it's because they work, Bob. They work. That is such an interesting point. You just think about the Santos and what happened. He His lies got him into the position of being elected uh, to U.S. Congress, I mean, in his life. And finally, uh, he, he became victim of his own lying. But the irrespective, I think your point is well taken. And you just listen to Newsom and what he was saying. It was... It was ad hominem attacks against DeSantis and lies because there was no truth of the claims that he was making about, for example, people pay, pay a smaller percentage of taxes in California than they do in the rest of the country. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was no doubt. And again, the, you know, the, that he lied and, you know, then the, the defense of Newsom might be, well, uh, he was just uh, taking a, uh, a different perspective on the same issue. No, that, that isn't the case. He was obviously lying. Uh, and again, I'll get back to my basic point is lies work, Bob. The truth, it, you know, everyone believes that the, uh, the truth will always win out. Uh, I'm sorry, Bob, that is not what the history of this world shows. Sadly, I, I have to accept the point you're making, though, because, uh, and, and of course, the, the old saw, saw is that uh, if you tell a lie and repeat it often enough, it becomes the truth. Yeah, and I think it was, it was uh, Churchill that said, um, a lie will go halfway around the world before the truth can put its pants on. <laughs> <laughs> so so true. Andy, I just always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, Andrew Joppa, professor. Uh, Josephus of Oz is the name of his book. It's a great read. It's off topic for today's discussion, but hope you take a look at Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining always us. Always good to be there, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Always a learning experience uh, when we visit with our guests and learn so much. So I really appreciate that. Tomorrow we have some great guests. Keith Flaws, the co-founder and CEO of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. Dr. George Markovich is an orthopedic surgeon here on the Paradise Coast and will also visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. I appreciate your listening to the show. Thank you much for so much for doing so. I hope you'll pass the word on to your friends. That's one of the ways that we build our uh, audience here on the show. And, of course, uh, that's way how we reward our advertisers. We can't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>